I'm gonna make you bend and break Say to me without saying a prayer But let the good times roll In case God doesn't show And I want these words to make things right But it's the wrongs that make the words come to life But who does he think he is? That's the worst you got But it puts your fingers back to the keys Well, if you're getting paid, I'm rolling audio. <laughs> that's that's the way that's the way that it works. What are you currently uh, clocked in at? Like the hospital? Are you yeah. on a shift at hospital? Yeah, I'm Nurse Joy of Pokemon. <laughs> of Pokemon and, fame. And I am clocked in here at the Pokemon Training Center. Amazing. You're gonna take about six seconds. You're gonna heal up my party of my team of six after a rough battle, and it's gonna be great. Hallie, you're a big Pokemon guy, right? You yeah. love Pokemon! Here's my relationship with Pokemon. My sister was a big collector of when we were kids, so she had, like, a massive binder, and, like, she had, like, true... She'd put, like, real thought into which card she was getting. Wow. For me, I liked when a card was pretty. So I had, like, a fat stack of Jigglypuffs, and my sister <laughs> hated it. She was like, that's not even a good one. That's not an optimal strategy. so many? But I loved when there was like a sparkly one or holographic one. Yeah. I think they came with like a Happy Meal or something. So I liked when there was an aesthetically pleasing card. Yes. So and I had, I, you know, some could say I was a, a fan. You know? Yes. Uh, there's, there's, it takes all kinds in the Pokemon world. And it's yeah. a perfectly valid way to play Pokemon of... I like the way that these ones look. But I never played the game, um, and I never played, like, the card game, and I never played the video game either. I actually have played maybe three video games in my entire life. Wow. Like, I never had a gaming system other than DDR, Dance Dance Revolution. Counts. That's a game. Yeah, that's a, I guess that's one of the ones I played. And then my friend had Resident Evil 2, and so we played that, like, all the way through. And it's actually an amazing game. 100%. Um, and then, what else have I... What's the third one? Oh, you know the computer game Limbo? I've, I do. I've played that. Okay, that's a good, That's a good like, you know, you're just kind of jumping around. Yeah. It's a very aesthetic game, 100%. And that that's pretty much it. Like, I guess, like, growing up, like, people would have Wii at their house or mm -hmm. Guitar Hero or Rock Band or these. Like, those were fun. But, yeah, I was never a gamer. Oh, I played this other game. I'm thinking of every game I've ever played. <laughs> well, it's, if, it's a, it's, if it's a finite list, if it's, like, <laughs> one or two hands, I think it's fine. It was, like, a horror game. It's like mm -hmm. after dawn, before dawn, I don't know. Until dawn? Until dawn, yeah. that sounds right. It's <laughs> Breaking Dawn, part Breaking one, dawn. part two. Yeah, but yeah, I was never a gamer, not like for any specific reason, it just like, you know, it never happened for me. Like I wasn't not allowed to play games, you know what I mean? Yeah, I Some people's I parents like I guess wouldn't let them. I just, yeah, it just was never, it never interested me. 
You know, I'm not about games. I'm about being serious. I'm about being real. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about living, living life, living my truth. Yeah, I, I am the opposite. I love a game. Love to throw down in the virtual world. I'm uh, somewhere in between that where I wrote a 70-page paper on why I didn't play games and how it was society and not my fault. So <laughs> Wow. So you put a lot of thought into... Uh, your yeah. non-gaming ways. Yeah, like too much, too much. And thought. your whole, your whole uh, dissertation was uh, building a sort of virtual game space. Exactly. Yeah, building a queer game space made by and for queer people. If people ask me what my like degree was in, <laughs> I did one of those like you get to do whatever you want things at NYU. And so I just describe it as it's like if Sims and Club Penguin was made by and for gay people. <laughs> and now you can take a shot since I said gay. <laughs> oh, you listeners at home playing the class, <laughs> yeah. if you're, especially if you're driving, take, take a shot. <laughs> I want to see I want to see clips you throw in one back every time Kat mentions being queer. Uh, it's a fun, it's a fun at home game for our it's, future run the Julia's at home board game. It's yeah. It's a really great way to get fucked up. And as a recovering alcoholic, um, I don't get drinking games. I never have because like the point of the drinking game to me was like, you, you just drink, like, it's not a punishment to have to drink and it's not. So just drink as much as possible as fast as possible there's there's something i am not a drinking game person either um i'm not a heavy drinker i'm a very mild drinker and a drinking game by its very purpose is there to like get you fucked up as fast as possible but there is something in the human animal that likes to have fun by torturing itself you see this a lot in various different spaces and, and ways uh yeah BDS, uh, the, the classic way to have fun by torture uh, you know, at Abu Ghraib, it's a big party. You know what I mean? It's like people, it's, I don't know. There's something self-flagellating in, in the human animal. As much as I do love the death drive, um, as I said earlier, I don't play games. So <laughs> yeah, I don't play games. I'm here to saw, win. That if I saw games, <laughs> including drinking games, wow. I don't believe in fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, you did say you're very serious, and we do want to honor that boundary. Yeah, this will so, be a very academic podcast about yes. the, the 2004 mm-hmm. Mike Nichols film, Closer. Yes. Um, Closer. 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 Oh, wait, wait, let me do my tapping. Welcome to the Closer Podcast. Audience, are you... Are you getting closer? I don't know. I never I saw. Can't whisper. I never saw a trailer for this film, but I have to. I really hope the guy in the trailer was going like, "Are you getting closer?" You know what I mean? Do you ever see trailers sometimes, especially for like, uh, like mid mid budget indie films coming out now, like the kind of films that play at Angelica? Do you know what I mean? Oh, hundred like films for like films that you're like, who's going to see this? <laughs> <laughs> Like a bunch of old ladies at 3 p.m. Yeah, and, and me. That is, um, those are the people at like, but, <laughs> and no offense to this movie, but like a screening of "You Hurt My Feelings" yeah. or something like that. Yes, but like, 
But there's sometimes trailers to this day that are still with the narration over it where it's like, one boy found a dog. You know what I mean? <laughs> I long for a return to that. They just tell me what the fucking movie's about. Sometimes to in they world. Still, I still see them. Return to like, in a world. Yeah, but they only play at the 3 p.m. screenings. Angelica, of yeah. And it like yanks One you. woman who can't have it all. Yeah, it yanks you into the past. Into a blissful Obama era. I miss it. Yeah, I miss like a, a 2003 era DVD oh, where it's, it's all trailers for like, Maddie Simmons has bad luck. And then she like falls off a ladder and then you're like, oh, Maddie Simmons. One of my favorite bits from one of my favorite holiday movies, The Holiday. That's an ongoing bit where she starts to have intrusive thoughts as that voice. Because oh, yeah. her job is to it's be a sizzle reel. Yeah, a trailer. Cameron Diaz, trailer editor. The, again, that, a classic rom-com job. That's Better a great than movie. bookshop. Yeah, travel bookshop owner, famously from uh, Notting Hill, an uh, uh, episode we recently did. Um, I love a rom-com job. I love, I edit movie trailers. Mm. I love, I am an ar- a non-specific architect. I always have maps and drawings, but of nothing in particular. Yep. I was listening to the Notting Hill episode earlier today Amazing. to Thank prepare you. myself because I was like, I gotta catch up. What if there's like, the space. what if there's reoccurring jokes, you know? Not yet. There's still time. I'm We're gonna create enough. one today, you know? I Exactly. You, I'm we, gonna make a catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are on, you know, episode six. Of this pod- like, this is the time where like, we five. need to start getting t-shirt catchphrases. I don't know, you're right at six. are getting worn, you know? Uh, yeah, at six because this isn't coming out until Nichols Vember. We are we are recording and uploading Mary Riley in, yes. in Spooktober before this. Mm-hmm. We are in Nichols-vember, the, the one month long celebration of the collaborations of Julia Roberts and Mike Nichols. You could do December and it could be St. Nichols, you Ooh. know, like St. Nick. Bump it even further. Well, Julia has a new movie in December, so oh. that's probably what we're doing in December. Wow. I know. She's still working. You gotta get tickets to the premiere, you know, oh, for yeah, the pod. Yeah. Anyone we'll listening who can out. hook it up? Come on. Yeah, all those Netflix movie premieres. They really love to roll out the red carpet for all their new movies, let you know that they exist. They're definitely not currently just like dumping Direction a new Wes Anderson movie on there and be like, you find it. We're not gonna tell you what it's fucking called. You go find it. <laughs> I did think about that. I was like, why aren't these even grouped together? I was getting like targeted it's- ads for separate ones and I was like, do I have to like Google the like lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off titles of all of these of Wes all Anderson these movies, shorts? Right. It's like you have to guess what they are. I guess like the order doesn't seem to matter. I've only watched two of the four so far, but like they're not, there's not even like, they didn't treat it as a mini series or anything like that, or they didn't like put an umbrella over them. They're just like, here's four Wes Anderson shorts released one a day for four days. You find them. Good luck. Go, go figure it out, fucko. Uh, and that's been their strategy for their entire uh, duration. And they're upping subscription prices for, for the privilege. I want to earnestly say fucko more. You just made me think of that. You're so welcome. Is that our catchphrase? Calling people fuckos? There's a lot of fuckos in this movie. I gotta say. There's some real there's some yeah. real fucko characters in the 2004 film Closer. Is Shall that, we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. This is, of course, uh, Run the Julia is the only podcast brave enough to cover every cinematic work 
of the great movie star Julia Roberts. Uh, I am one of your hosts, TV's Kevin Lanigan. With me, as always... Hello, stranger. <laughs> it's Pat Scott. I use they, them pronouns. And I am your other co-host. Amazing. And with us, a favorite guest of the collaborations of uh, Kevin Lanigan and Kat Scott. Uh, welcome to the show, Hallie. Hallie, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's That's Hallie Berry. I'd love to be in the studio. <laughs> we got Hallie it's Berry. It's great to be back in the Big Apple. <laughs> Listen, yeah, and uh, Hallie and I are here. We're sharing a mic. It's a very professional uh, it's sort intimate, of podcast. But audio not too setup. intimate. It's not too intimate. It's intimate in a friendly sort of way. Yeah, uh, it's definitely Yari, platonic. Who is listening? It's intimate in a friendly and sort Shannon. of way. And Shannon, yeah. And Shannon, I don't know if Shannon listens to these. We cut out. I hope so. I, I don't begrudge any partner who does not listen to their partner's podcast because, like, she gets enough of me. She doesn't need to like hear me when she's like babysitting. You know what I mean? She doesn't need to hear me when I'm not around. Not while I'm around. <laughs> Julia should have done Sweeney Todd so we can talk about Sweeney oh Todd. Does she sing? Has she ever sang in I a don't film? Think, I don't think Julia Roberts sing. ever sang in a film. I don't know because there is a karaoke scene in My Best Friend's Wedding. Yeah, but... But I don't remember if her character or actor Julia Roberts sings. I don't remember either. In that sequence. Uh, boy, you know, we're gonna have to figure out. We got, like, 60 movies. We're gonna have to, you know, pay attention. Does she sing at any point? Yeah. She gives, she gives off not really a singer in an endearing way. Like, can't really sing. She would have fun at karaoke, but you're not, like, blown away. You know, but she's a good time. She knows how to, she knows how to work the floor. Just no sense of pitch, you know? Oh, no sense of pitch. In a charming sort of way, because you're so very beautiful. It's like, it's fine. You don't have a sense of pitch. It's fine. Well, before we dive into uh, this uh, month's film, Hallie, Mm. what is your relationship with actor Julia Roberts? Do you have strong feelings? What is deep dive into yourself? Wow, I didn't anticipate that question actually. I'm so sorry. I suppose it it should have been anticipated. It's okay. What's interesting is I so I don't really consider myself like myself like a Julia Roberts fan Mm -hmm. in that like I feel like. Yeah, she's not an actor I know much about or, like, think about very often, even though she's so, like, iconic and has been in so many films. But, she, like, one other thing I will say is I really hate the film Pretty Woman. And now we're, <laughs> and now we're, I know we're not even talking about that film today. No, this is Get a safe out. space. We already but covered if it. if you want to do, like, a bonus Grind episode. It. No, right now. Let's, let's dive in. The pod's let's already go. out. I feel like that's, like, what, um, what, like, her biggest, uh... What she's most known for. It was the star maker. It was it the was. star maker. So that like what it's like that wasn't for me, you mm-hmm. know. Not that there aren't actors I love that like, you know, have done some real stinkers. They know? all have. But yeah, that wasn't for me. And I think a lot of her films are haven't been like really my thing. Mm-hmm. Um with the exception of Closer, as we we're discussing of course, today. Of course. But um they haven't really been my thing. I do love rom coms, but the the rom-coms she has been in are not my rom-coms, okay. if that makes sense. It does. It makes like, perfect sense. you know, if you're making, like, a Venn diagram of, like, rom-coms, rom-coms that star Julia Roberts, like, that overlap, that's not, those aren't mine, you know? Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah, and also I think, like, because of how, like, I, you know, because a lot of her films came out, like, I think 
before I was born or when I was very young, like her most successful ones, mm -hmm. it wasn't like I like grew up with her. You know what I mean? In the way I think if you were just like around, if you were like a, you know. If you're approximately like 10 years older than anyone yeah, currently on Yeah, then she would have just call. been like around, yes. Of course, right. So like all that... All that being said, I do think she's played a lot of, like, diverse roles and interesting roles. And I, before this podcast, of course, I was, like, looking at her filmography. I'm like, she's really gotten some, like, meaty parts, you Absolutely. know? So, yeah. I don't know. She's I'm, been the rom-com heavyweight. She's won the Oscar. But she's also done, like, you know... Eat, really, pray, love. Yeah. <laughs> she's done, and, like, really serious films, you know. Yeah. She's done kind of such a... You know, she has a diverse filmography, so I think that's really interesting. It's cool to see, like, an actress who is, like, this, like, you know, ingenue kind of person take on such diverse roles and whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued by her. One time, I was at um, a house show. I grew up in Charlotte. I shouldn't say where I grew up, maybe. What if it, like, doxes? Well, I've already been doxed. Go <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they know your first name. Yeah. Yeah. There's already anti-Semitic uh, memes of me, so have at it. I want more, actually. If someone wants to put me on the Happy Merchant, do it. But um, so anyway, um, I, I uh, went to a house show growing up, and I remember being struck by a shelf that was DVDs of her entire filmography. Sounds like, like they, my kind they of had joint. every Julia Roberts That's film. Amazing. And I was really like stunned to see that. And I'm, I'm. It was like someone's like parents' house. So I'm sure it was like the mom's collection or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing. But um, people. No, like, it was dad's collection, I, and yeah, dad maybe. was deeply buried in the closet. I mean, yeah. that'd be hot too. Like, but I, I say this because people really love her, and she's had such a huge cultural impact. So even though I, I don't personally feel I have that like personal connection to her. That's so, okay. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for opening up. Thank yeah. you for sharing. This is safe. This is safe. all yeah. opinions welcome, as long as they are not like overtly negative Julia Roberts opinions, which I would be interested to find that person. Yeah. Who was like, she sucks. Yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, there are some like, you know, artists, actors, whatever, who like really like strike a chord with you, where you're just like, just you feel like you're you're kindred with them in some inappropriate way. Absolutely. And she's definitely not that for me. No, but you're I think mean, she's you're not a talented artist and all that. Yeah. So Absolutely. Uh right. And uh so, you know, in the early days of the show when we were kinda putting out like, do any friends of the pod have any faves they want to come on and talk about, you brought forward this film. Yeah. Closer. Yeah. Not a well-known or beloved film in anyone's filmography. Not, I'm not saying it's not good because okay. I because the reputation, as much as this movie has a reputation, I feel yeah. like it's kind of middling. I was very pleasantly surprised and really enjoyed it. But what, what about Closer drew you in? Okay, wait. I want to ask you a question. Uh, please. When I said I wanted to do Closer, though, like knowing me. Were you Made surprised? sense conceptually. Like, no, yeah, no, no, it's no, like no, no, it makes no. perfect sense. I'm just trying to make some podcasts here. I'm trying to lay some, yeah, yeah. Lay some track down. Oh, I guess down. the people listening don't know Don't me. know you very well at all, yes. Um. So let me tell you everything there is. While you're doxing yourself, what do you like <laughs> yeah. about Closer? What's, what's um, appealing to you? Well, here's the thing. I, uh, there's so much to be said for it. Um. I don't even know where, where we should start, but I really love, um... I love psychoanalysis. Oh, boy. Maybe we'll start there. I love psychoanalysis. I think this is a very, like, psychoanalytic film. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I love, like, anything psychosexual. Um, a lot of the films I love are about, like, exploring sexuality in these ways where you're, like, you know, really cracking it open mm-hmm. and letting letting the yolk drip out. You know what I mean? Like, really getting in there. Oh, this is a yolky fucking movie. And um, this movie is absolutely that in such a absurd, absurd way that I love. And I think it's, you know, I find it a very endearing film. And, um, and yeah, it's just... It's so, it's so over the top, it's melodramatic, it's psychosexual, it's all these things I love. Um, And this is like, I mean, when you said you're doing a Julia Roberts podcast, like this was immediately like the first film I thought of because to me, like this is my favorite film that I've seen that she's in. And yeah, I just think it's, yeah, so rich. It's a very rich film. Absolutely. Yeah. So in, in prep for Nichols Vember, I, I listened to the 20 hour uh, Mark Harris scripted audiobook Mike Nichols, A Life, okay. um, and which just covers essentially the man's entire life. Because I was like, well, if we're covering these two, and this is a book I want to read anyway. Um, and there's, you know, obviously that book has, you know, extensive passages on, say, The Graduate. Uh, or something like that. But by the time we get to the end here, because this is his penultimate film, he only makes one film after this, which yeah. we are covering next time on Run the Julia's, Charlie Wilson's War, his right. his final film. Um, at least this feels like his last true movie because it's the last movie that he was kind of very responsible for wanting to make, like yeah. pushing this along. Um, it's obviously based on a play, which you can tell by watching it uh, because <laughs> it is 100% people talking. Uh, but I think the movie, I think this movie does a good job of breaking up the monotony of people talking. And it's like, we're always changing staging, always changing mm. levels, changing locations, splitting up conversations to take place in multiple locations and things like that. Yeah. Things that are important when translating a play to the screen to just keep it from feeling dry and make it feel, forgive me, a little cinematic. Um, and, uh, you know, Julia is a is sort of a last minute replacement coming into this film. Oh, really? Uh, it was supposed to be Kate Blanchett. <sighs> Oh that my makes God. a lot but of sense. No offense, Julia Roberts. No, I get like... it. No, I understand. But Kate was uh, big time pregnant. And wow. uh, they didn't feel like that would work for the character very well. Wow. And this movie takes place over a long period of time. So it'd be weird if she was pregnant the whole time. Uh, mm. But Julia's kind of like a sub. Julia's coming in off the off the bench here. Whoa. And, uh, and she comes in. And you know what? I think she's great in this movie. I really, yeah. really do. Not even just like a, as a last minute replacement. I was very, very impressed not that i didn't know she was a good actor but this is different than something that you see julia roberts do this is not even like her big oscar winning aaron brockovich role is still playing into the julia roberts archetype yeah the the the, you know big loud big personality sort of thing this character is very drawn in uh, yeah. is very, like, introspective and often silent. And she's often kind of butch, too. Lo- yeah, I the think, way she dresses. She's in, like, cargo pants which in I this thought, movie. I was thinking about that. I'm like, that is... Like, honestly, the Kate Blanchett makes a lot of sense totally. because she has, like, you know, that, that masculine energy, not mm-hmm. to simplify things in these ways, but you get what I mean. Um, but, yeah, Julia Roberts is uh, such an ingenue kind of actress, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. Anyway... Uh, Kat, what was your relationship with this movie? Like, had you seen it before, or? No, I was in 
London last summer and I there was a there was an opportunity to see a play closer and I was like, what's that? And they're like, like the, you know, like the, the Natalie Portman movie. <laughs> like, which, you know, the one where she's a stripper with pink hair. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't need to see that. So that was my <laughs> relationship. Well, Natalie Portman was not in the play. You know what I mean? Uh, she, was not, she was not in the play you would have seen in London. Right. So what's and the point? So that was it, really. I think I just was probably like... I don't need to see a Manic Pixies story right now. It was, like, the hottest summer in UK's, like, recent history, like, the last century or something, and it was our, like, one day off or something. I don't know. Whatever it was, I didn't see that. So when I was like, oh, right, I still haven't seen the movie, I wasn't expecting really anything. I was like, this is probably going to be some, like, male fantasy, Manic Pixie nightmare and julia roberts might be in like two scenes so i had very low expectations <laughs> <laughs> and then you and then you roll into you know like that that first scene between jude law and julia roberts and you're like this is going to be an interesting fucking movie this there's there's operations happening here that you don't see this is a very interesting place for all of our you know four principal actors here uh, this is the moment where like it feels like we're really flirting with Clive Owen. Like, is this going to be the next big guy? This is before, you know, right before he works with Alfonso Cuaron. He's in the talks to play like James Bond at this point. You know, like, is this the next big guy? Uh, in the play, Clive Owen had played the Jew Law part. And then uh, years and years later, when they made it into a movie, he decided to switch over into, into the doctor role instead. Um, Natalie Portman is, you know, at this point, I mean, had been a child actor, obviously, in, in Leon or Heat, but the, right now, obviously, I think most people on planet Earth in the year 2004 know her from Star Wars movies. Um, and this is the same year she does Garden State, the ultimate Manic Pixie Dream Girl role. Uh, the, 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 prime, the face on the front of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl Hall of Fame. And Wikipedia uh, and, page. And Wikipedia page. And, um, and Jude Law. This is the year where Jude Law is in, like, six movies in four months in the back half of 2004. This is, like, coming right in a, in a fucking thrust uh, alongside uh, the remake of Alfie, uh, The Aviator, the Martin Scorsese movie, a series of unfortunate events. Like, there was just this weird window of time where you just could not escape Jude Law. And this comes right in the middle of that. And he was also in The Holiday holiday referenced earlier yeah the this next is year. peak sexy jude law for me like this in the holiday this era is like just the hottest man i could ever contrive but i don't i don't think he's a good person it's probably i think no again, I, I would not say he's from again a misremembered headlines of tiktoks of instagram of whatever i don't remember what makes jude law bad but I know uh, he's not there's good. the like pretending to be a woman who rejected you online. Uh, there's the stalking her outside of her apartment. Uh, there's oh, you're talking about the character. You're talking about the character. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize we were talking about Jude Law the man. I know nothing man. about Jude Law the man. <laughs> yeah, I, something. He was also a very sexy 
like it was sexually conf- I think the age that I saw the film that is probably more and more relevant this year AI artificial intelligence oh, of course a male gigolo. That movie fucked me up in a way that me I cannot. Too. Yeah, I can't. Fucked I can't handle AI. Fucked me up. Yeah, absolutely not. That, I, that and Bambi fucked no, me up. Yeah. Oh, and Requiem for a Dream because I watched it like as a child. But those <laughs> AI <laughs> Requiem think, for a Dream and Bambi. That is a holy trinity of, <laughs> of fucking you up really early. Absolutely. No, I cannot. I cannot handle AI to this day. I mean, I think it's like a beautiful, incredible movie, but it just like it's too emotionally devastating for I me don't personally. Even, I think it's just manipulative. Like, I it's Spielberg, right? Ew. Yes. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Steven Spielberg. What has he ever done? Pass. <laughs> but, Smash um, or pass. Coming one day to this podcast, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, Absolutely pass. But um. Yeah, it's just manipulative, and it's emotional. Um, depth isn't the right word. Shallowness. Um. <laughs> Get his ass. <laughs> work, work the body. But it, yeah, anyway. I get it. I understand. With Closer, my other, like, before I had even seen the movie, my first, like, knowledge of it was when I was a child, I was, like, very, I you know, very into emo, and I still am. Not even as a child. I'm still into emo. I was just telling Kevin that on the way here, I ran into this person from this band, this emo band I like. And I was like, wasn't going to say anything, but we're at a stoplight together. I had to say any- something. Anyway, side, side, getting sidetracked. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's an emo night. But it's emo night is, on the podcast. The point is, emo kid forever. And so, you know, this was deep in the, like, warp Tour era for me. And... So even before I had seen the film, I had known of it because it's referenced in Fall Out Boy songs and Panic at the Disco songs. We gotta talk about it. What the Both fuck is them. going on? So here's the thing. I, re- I would love to talk about this. So as we know, lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off. But it's better if you do. Two songs by Panic at the Disco. Mm-hmm. Fall Out Boy, in Thanks for the Memories, they use the line... He tastes like you, only sweeter. And then they have on a, another song that's not very good on Infinity on High. They re- reference the movie again. Wow! So like these are, this movie was really big within the like pop punk, you know, scene when it came out. And I was really thinking because of this podcast, I was like, we got to talk about this. But I'm like, let me get to the root of like why, like yes. why is this movie? Why does it resonate so? much with the like you know pop punk of that era and so i looked up like trying to find interviews and i found one with i think it was panic of the disco and it's so funny because they're just like natalie portman's so hot in that movie (laughs) so i'm like i'm overthinking this first of all but maybe i'm not overthinking it because i do think the movie is emo it's an emo movie yeah like through and through i think the the aesthetic, the temperament, the tone, it's an emo movie. And I think, you know, we can... Falling in love after getting hit by a car and yes. and all of these ideas. I have a larger thought on this movie's relationship to 2000s pop punk uh, that is a little degradatory. So I want... Kat, do you have any thoughts on this movie's relationship to the pop punk universe? <laughs> I'm actually more curious about what your thought is now 
Okay. Now because I'm hyper it, it, fixated. In sitting down in this movie, I didn't know any of this going into the movie. And then at one point, Julia Roberts turns to Clive Owen and screams, he tastes like you, but sweeter. And I was just like, I was rocketed out of my seat. Did you recognize it from Of course. From, well, yeah, because that song was inescapable during yeah. my youth, right? Like, yeah. that was in there. And I knew about, and she said, lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off. And I'm like, that also. I wasn't, I didn't know Panic as well, but like, that rang mm-hmm. something to me. Mm-hmm. And you have to sit there and you wonder, like, this is a movie about, like, well-to-do <laughs> Londonites. Yeah. Kind of just falling in and out of love with each other. Why is this, like resonating with the the pop punk scene of like the 2000s it like it shouldn't it shouldn't resonate with anything having to do with punk this is not a punk film you say it's an emo film but it's it's not not, a punk film it's not a a pop punk film it's an emo film and i think the the pop is part of it because uh, uh, you know, I, I enjoy some pop punk from t- uh, from time to time. You know, I love a Bowling for Soup, obviously. <laughs> um, I love a Blink-182 or what have you. But specifically in relation to Fallout Boy or Panic at the Disco, there is an inherent poserness to so, those acts yes, that okay. actually makes a lot of sense yes. why they latched onto this erudite, uh, rich person movie I'm called so Closer. Glad. Yes, this is going exa- this is going exactly where I wanted <laughs> to go. My head is falling into place. But no, because I want to talk about this because I'm of two minds about this, and it's you know it, it sounds like super a superficial topic, but I think there's a lot of rich no. uh, cultural analysis to be done, which is that like I think with pop punk, I'm of two minds about it. Is it trying to be cool to the point that it's cringe, right? Like yes. attempting. <laughs> Hold I'm on. sorry, I'm sorry. Try, like, adopting these punk aesthetics, but from this very, like, suburban, you know, whatever, um, position where it ends up being, like, it feels false. It feels like that, well, that's not actually countercultural, you know? But I think there's this other thing that happens where it's, like, I think maybe it's this real, like, um, like, is it is pop punk unselfconsciously cringe, like knowingly cringe, you know, in a way? Like, it's not trying to be truly like underground. Like, it kind of is like this, like like Warp Tour was like a really like nerdy thing in a way, you know? Absolutely. It was like a nerd subculture, you know? And so I think it's like, is it unselfconsciously cringe to the point where it ends up being cool in the fact that it's like, well, people are letting their freak flag fly a bit. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I, I think I think it's like it can go both ways. I think so can this film. To be so cringe. It's horseshoe theory. It's so cringe it wraps back around yes. into being cool. But it's also like this film, I, I don't, I don't, like, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if they're... If they're trying to be cool and then failing, it's a bit, like, pathetic. And mm-hmm. I think you could read this film that way. Like, it's trying so hard to be stylish and whatever that it's failing. But it's like, no, if it's just leaning in and you read this film more as melodrama, which I think you could easily read this film as a melodrama, where it's, like, actually, like, um, this purposeful excess and, like, purposefully exposing these, like, uh, er- irreconcilable facts of like sexuality and love you know post-sexual revolution kind of thing if you're showing that as like through like the tropes of melodrama exploring all that then 
it's kind of just unselfconsciously being excessive and that's actually very like fun and satisfying to watch and I think maybe through doing that it ends up accidentally being pretty cool mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so it, like you know I, like this isn't a camp film but I think it's like similar principles to camp where it's like you know you can't really like try to be it I think you could read it that way. Like, if this film is just taking itself seriously and trying to be a melodrama, then it ends up accidentally, like, being kind of, like, edgy and subversive. And I would say, so can pop punk and emo. If it's just, like, a very, like, niche community thing that's just trying to be what it is. Does that I, make sense? I don't know. I no, it does. It makes perfect sense. I arrived at my, at my thought on this. But through that explanation. Uh oh. Cat's in frozen. That, I don't know if they're frozen in the recording, but hold hold your thought for a second. They they would not be frozen on the recording okay. because of the way that cast works. But okay. I appreciate you looking out for that all the same. Uh Kat, you have resumed motion, so you're you're free. Boys, we are the boys in motion. Um my thought on this is that I feel like the Natalie Portman manic pixie type that is who like pop punk boys like idealize as their sexual type. So I feel like she's kind of the anchor that would like bring in that interest. Like there's like sort of this like instead of like the rock star and the groupies, it's like the pop punk rock star and then this sort of like manic pixie girl as like the counterpart the sort of like psychological warfare like male manipulator vibe and so i do feel like it's her that anchors she could be in any environment and happens to be in this like british psychological thing but as long as she's doing everything that she's doing all of her scenes i feel like that is the sort of like what people are attracted to. And I only say that because that used to be my typecast was the Natalie Portman role. And I would like look to these roles like this, Ramona Flowers, um, Silver Linings Playbook. Like this was the type that I was going for, like kind of mentally unwell (laughs) sex worker. And then my first, I just saw a Facebook post today that said it had been six years since my first drag performance which was to pop punk. It was like to um, car radio by 21 pilots specifically because the queer trans mask and butch population of Missouri attached themselves to the genre of pop punk to be drag Kings for some reason, which originated from this drag King named Ryder who by day is a, chemistry professor at Washington University and by night is this like 40 year old drag king and his thing was pop punk and then he would go and he would tour these different colleges for like drag performances and drag balls and stuff and it had this trickle effect of like all the baby gays like starting to be like oh like I want to do drag and then they started doing pop punk and so I just like me coming into my queerness and coming into my gender journey when like transitioning from Natalie Portman to a pop punk performer. So like that might just be my like narrow view of it, but it's like how I watch it. It's like kind Mm -hmm. of watching Mm -hmm. this gender journey that I had and like the way that I was objectified like Natalie Portman then 
and then being like sort of in this objectifier shitty pop punk like like satirizing that type like in my drag i don't know yeah yeah there's there's a lot there and i feel like every drag performance i've been to which is not a lot someone has done never there by the band cake uh so that plays into this continued like pop punk thing and i guess because it's all like i know that all music is performative but there's like an attitude of added performance to pop punk that like you know the the members of fallout boy had like character costumes the the members of like my chemical romance had very specific character costumes that would change from like album to album like there is something that's like you're putting on a performance of yes a this character but also b this gender i the lead singer of fallout boy i'm like putting on this boy sort of character and i don't know yeah it's all this i think it's also like accessible like an edginess for like you know, no matter where you were in the country, like, even if you're in suburbia or whatever, like, Warped Tour was a tour that, like, came to you. Right. And, like, this music was all, like, you know, relatively accessible then. It's not like I'm, like, gonna go to, like, some punk squat in, you know, <laughs> bleep the city I'm from where I'm not talking to myself again. Right. But you know what I mean? But like, it played at, like, yeah, public parks. Yeah, yeah. like, it, it, it was accessible edginess. It was, like, the mainstream edginess when we were growing up, if that makes sense. The safest amount of edge that you could have. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- I think that's part of it. One thing Kat said that I found I think is interesting is like the objectification of Natalie Portman. I think it's interesting in this film because, well, a couple of things. One, this film is all about sex. It's a very sexual film. It's a sexy film. When I think about this film, I think of it that way. And I had seen it before, but when I did it this rewatch, I don't know how this didn't dawn on me, but when I watched it this time, I'm like, oh, there's no sex in the film. No, you never, you, nobody's you, even, like, naked. You never naked. see sex. Yeah. There's no nudity. There ba- there's barely kissing. Like, you don't actually see any of that. And even when Natalie Portman is stripping, it's all strategically covered, so you never see her nude. Yes. Like, her, her breasts are covered, her vulva's covered, <laughs> even when she shows, you know, whatever. So, like, everything's always covered. Um, and... I was interested in that, so I read about it a bit and how, like, some of that was done, like, purposely, conversation between Natalie Portman and the director, but she also said that, um, like, there's quotes of her talking about being directed by Mike Nichols and how he was, like, one of the most respectful, like, male directors she ever worked with who, like, saw her as an artist, not just objectifying her. And I do think, like, with that in mind, looking at the film... Like, I think the film is very aware of, n- like, not not doing the work of objectifying her, even though she's a stripper, you know? Like, she's working yeah. an objectifying job, but she, they're not, it's not buying into that. And I think, like, the fact that, you know, when the guy's like, oh, mo- remove your panties, whatever, like, the fact that we as the viewer are denied seeing it as well, because it's, like you know obscured and we can't see i think it like draws our attention to like our own desires for objectifying her in a way you know not that i think any of the people in panic at the disco were seeing it that way (laughs) but i do think the film like resists the objectification of like the 
the female characters and like draws your attention to it, you know? Um, maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but no, I do, I, do I think, think it's that. all in there. And I think like, you know, there's a lot of very hot people in this movie yeah. who are, I cannot speak for all assembled members, but like some of these people, you know, they were getting a rise out of me, you yeah, know, like it's a hot, it's a sexy film. It's a sexy movie, but it's about like a simmering sexiness. It's sexiness in like a slow cooker. It's all yeah. about like looks and whispered conversations. And it's like, you find, you know, the Julia Roberts character sexy in this movie, not because she's, like, constantly naked. You find her sexy because she's, like, withholding and powerful and, like... But yeah. also her moments of vulnerability in, in the face of that. You know what I mean? Like, the way that you're watching this person, you're like, this is, like, a, you know, professional photographer with a great loft in London. Like, this is a successful person. But, like, the ways she is manipulating or being manipulated, it's all this, like, very, I don't know, erotic back and forth as, yeah. like, disgusting as this movie can also be. Yeah. It's it's a very, like, I don't know, it's exciting to watch this, like, back and forth. Yeah. But I do think, like, Kat, to your point, like, I think that's interesting of, like, Natalie Portman just being unable to escape this, like, role or this reputation of, like, the manic pixie dream girl and, like, that that would bring, like, the, the audience would follow her into this film and view her that same way. I do think that's probably And it seems like, like Natalie Portman just sort of inherently has an effect on men similar to, like, the sirens of Greek myth, but mm, she's just yeah. not doing it on purpose. The, the, the author of that book, Everything is Illuminated, like... Oh, yeah. left Simon his wife Simon's to go be with Natalie Portman. And when he got to Natalie Portman, she was like, I didn't ask you. We're not in a relationship. <laughs> like, I'm married. Like, why did you do this? Or like... Well, not anymore. Not any Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Moby uh, famously, like, since was talking about, like, yeah, I, Natalie Portman and I were flirting for a little while during X and Y period, and it was like, dude, she was like 16. Wow. Uh, Terrence Stamp, when they were working on The Phantom Menace, was like, I joined this movie for, you know, that hot young minx, Natalie Portman, and it was like, again, dude, she's like 16. Like, there's just something about Natalie Portman that, like, makes men wreck their ships yeah. upon the rocks through no fault of Natalie Portman. Well, it's, 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 but I also it's think casting, I, yeah, but I think it's also like the like Marilyn Monroe effect of like Natalie Portman is like so intelligent, so she just like knows that there there's this effect, and then she uses it to her advantage to like. She get, went to Harvard, baby. Like she like she she knows wh like what what works, and she can finesse it, and so I think she's really well cast for this because it's like. Yeah, she could do it the best. Like, she can bring in that, like, male attention, but she's also being really intelligent with how she does it. So it's, n it's not just, like, men objectifying her out of nowhere. <laughs> it's also, like, mm -hmm. she's, like, being a craftsperson in, like, the way that she wields it, I think, is very cool. Um, and I always yeah. used to feel very, like... I don't know about her and Anne Hathaway. And now I'm realizing it's probably just because I'm like intimidated by like this like thing that they do. <laughs> yeah. 
and the film also has like within the within the text of the film, he literally like writes a book that's based off of her life. Yes. So it's funny, like this idea of her being like a manic pixie dream girl, right? Which is like the the critique of that uh, caricature, I guess, is that like, you know, it's it's a character who serves this like device where the male character just like steals their. Uh, their ideas or like you know his life is transformed by just like knowing this person or whatever and within the text of this film is literally like he writes a book based on her life you know yeah and Um, and she's on the fucking you know she's the the incredible photograph that's then on like the postcards in the hotel lobby you know like it's drawing your attention the julia roberts character like takes a picture of her in an incredibly vulnerable moment, like, crying, this woman that she, like, almost cucked, you know? And then, like, but is like, this picture's too good, she's too enthralling, I gotta use this, come to the the art gala opening, like, we gotta see your big crying face, people are gonna love it. Absolutely, so I think, like, casting someone who's this, like, thought of as a manic pixie dream girl character, it's, like, perfect, because it works within the text of the film. I do have, um, this is too long of a conversation to ah, get into now, but I do have a lot of thoughts as well on, like, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl and, like, the kind of, my personal relationship to it as well. 100%. Because I will say, the the, the, the critiques of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl device, I think, are all valid, and there's probably too much has already been said about this, so maybe I shouldn't say more, but for me growing up, I liked that there were characters who were women who were um who men were attracted to them it was about male attraction but who men were attracted to them not because they were the most beautiful but because of their like interests and style because of the music they liked 100 <laughs> percent. and that sounds like Okay, but it sounds like, oh, that's so stupid. But I'm like, if that's stupid, like, my relationship... Then I'm stupid. Well, yeah, my relationship is stupid. Like, you know, me and my partner, so much of our connection is because of us, like, as artists and, like, the art we make, but also the art we like and, like, talking about art and whatever, you know. Kevin, like, I think you and I are friends because, like, of the films we like and whatever. So, like, you know, um, like... That's how I form my connections as someone who is a creative and who is kind of sees the world through, you know, art in different ways. And so for me as a kid, when I saw like, it, it is a little fucked up that it's the value is put in terms of like male attention, of course, but it did make me feel like a woman could be something in these films, especially romantic films, which, as I said earlier, I do like, you know, something other than just, like, the most beautiful, you know? 100%. And, like, uh, not that I'm not also the most beautiful. I'm kind of a triple threat in this way, where I, like, the Smiths, I'm beautiful. (laughs) Um, You know, I do it all. The the triple threat, those are both my threats. Yeah, Uh, yeah, but But there's also something that happened with the Manic Pixie Dream Girl archetype, where people, it became... A type of person and not a function within a story. Yeah. Where we started looking at any character that resembled 
Natalie Portman in Garden State or Kirsten Dunst in Elizabethtown, where we get the term from, or like, you know, a, a, a Zoe Deschanel 500 Days of Summer, we started taking any quirky girl mm -hmm. and calling them Manic Pixie Dream Girls, right. which is not the proper application of that of that term. Right. Uh, because, you know, you can say what you will about any of those films, but like, there is a certain amount of agency to Summer in 500 Days of Summer of that course. like disqualifies her from the role, despite the fact that she is played by Zoe Deschanel and likes the Smiths. Yeah. Well, I also um, think, I think it's more like the way that um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt perceives her as a manic pixie dream girl, but she's mm -hmm. actually far more dimensional. Like, that's what I liked right. about the movie at the time that I don't think aged as well, apparently. I haven't really watched it since I was absolutely obsessed with it and the soundtrack when I thought it was like the deepest thing I had ever seen. People love to misinterpret that movie. That, that movie is about a woman setting very clear boundaries and a man ignoring them because he's like, well, we're going to be in love. Yeah. Um, I'm not calling it like a secret masterpiece or something like that. But people just like have a wrong idea of what that movie is even about. Yeah. But in terms of those films, like the ones that were unfairly <laughs> maligned and the ones that were accurately described. Yes. These characters who are women who had like real interests, I think was always very appealing to me because like it's rare that I would see like a romantic film where I felt the woman had like uh, cultural interests. Right. And so I, I definitely identified with that. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously a flawed trope. But I do think this film Closer is is in conversation with the Manic Pixie Dream Girl and as it's being created criti you know what I mean it. yeah yeah it's it's happening like because again this is the same year as Garden State like this is where that archetype is going to take off like a rocket shoot soon hereafter and like the movie is already like ready to swat that down yeah. with the person who will create the archetype yeah. It's it's incredible. It could not have been planned at all, but it's just it it's remarkable that it worked out like that. Yeah. And Natalie Portman's character literally like uses a fake name, which is revealed right at the end, mm -hmm. which I think this is this kind of like over the top like <laughs> excess of the film that is both cringe and endearing where it's no, like I loved it. Her name was what the whole time? It's like incredible. Inception Dude, vibes, I loved that. you know. The final shot where shit. she's like dolled up walking down New York City. I'm but, like, this is a fucking as like the worst song I've ever heard plays. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I love it too, honestly. It's but great. like but yeah, like she's literally like using this fake name for years, like four <laughs> years or whatever it is. So it's like, Payoff, you know, baby. Natalie Portman's character, it, it just, it, that especially that ending, it exposes how like uh, she, for Jude Law, she was like simply like a projection for him. Like, yeah. you know, and I think what this film, what I, as I mentioned earlier, like I love psychoanalysis, I love psychosexual stories. That, that, that's what this film is all about. Like, I think, you know, it's a very, the film is very cynical about love and sex, um, but I think it's really about this, like, kind of love and sex being about, like, projection or, like, trying to fulfill some sense of lack within yourself and looking, you know, towards others to fill that. Very relevant for the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Um, but it, like, you know, it, it exposes it at every turn. So, I don't know. Absolutely. I don't know. It's it's thorny. It's it's dense. And, you know, yeah. And you have, like, I think the... the We're talking about this character a lot, but I think the Natalie Portman character is an interesting person in this dynamic because she is demonstrably younger than everyone else at play. You yeah. know, she does, like... 
would be very easy to manipulate a young person when everyone else is in their 40s or what have you. No, but she she's like floating above it all. Exactly. Right, she's the know? secret fucking mastermind. Yeah. No one can well, touch she, her. She's Jewish. Not oh, of course. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> you the only person on this call that can make that joke. Um, yeah, it's 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 something. Um, I don't know. You've, you've got notes. I don't have notes. Is oh, there any, I told like... Kevin I brought notes because here's the thing. I am not a podcaster like y'all pros. So I'm like, I need to have, like, if I panic and don't have anything to say, I need to be able to look down and be like, that's something I can say. So of course. I did bring notes. But I bring notes to everything. I've literally <laughs> brought notes for dates before. Like, I don't show I actually the person. love that. Do you I like whales? <laughs> and you flip over the card. <laughs> I, I, like, sometimes when I know I'm going to, like, talk to someone later, I'll, like, make a note in my phone of, like, I want to say these things. On the way over here, I was thinking in my head, like, oh, I want to tell Kevin about these things. Like, and I got, I think I got them all. I think you, you, listen, (laughs) you're a pro at this. You got it all, you got it on the rundown. Yeah, so I am a big, uh, note, note maker, I guess. Even mental notes, I suppose. Like, I didn't write down the list of things to say on the way here. It was, it was a mental it's list. It's all locked in. It was a mental list, but it, I wouldn't put it past me to write it down. Yeah. I don't know. 100%. Yeah. I, I think I've been watching a lot of Nichols movies since I read that book, you know? Uh, I'm at, like, six for the year or something like that, just, like, filling in all these blind spots. And I think this movie fits in a very interesting place in his larger filmography it's kind of like a throwback to the beginning of his career when he's doing like who's afraid of virginia wolf or something like that Mm -hmm. or like you know he's a he's a storied on stage director as much as he is an on-screen director and this feels like him kind of right before the end punting it back to you know his his graduate days of these sort of like very small intimate character pieces that are all just about observed human behavior there's a lot of like i don't know little bits of body language and things that i find very interesting in this movie like especially the scene where julia is telling clive about her affair and like i don't know there's just like a way he keeps like staging her framing her and the way you know her hands are all over her face that she's like kind of just like retreating behind them at certain points it's i just a very good movie to just sort of watch blocking and watch the way that like scenes are staged and you know we love to talk about levels when we're directing stage but it's it's you know it's true and the levels are changing and the dynamics are changing i also just think it's a very fun wrinkle to throw into a play of like a character actually hearing what people are saying while they were in the bathroom uh, cause normally in theater terms or sitcom terms, like a bathroom wall is a soundproof door that <laughs> through which nothing can travel. If someone's out of the room, they can't hear anything. And if you are raised on, you know, media like Kevin Lanigan, you might make that mistake in your real life and start and pretending like a kitchen door is a soundproof wall. Uh, but I think it's very interesting when she comes out of the bathroom, she's like, I heard everything that you just said. I was two feet away. <laughs> it's a wooden door. Yeah. Um, I just, that's a nice, that's a nice wrinkle. That's a nice curveball. Yeah. The blocking's cool. And I think it's like so much of the film occurs like in these kind of in-between moments. Like you don't actually, as we mentioned, you don't see sex, but so you don't see cheating. You never actually see when they cheat on each other, you know? And you also never see, like, any of the big decisions they make. You don't see her not turn in the divorce papers. You don't see anything, you know? So you really only see these, like, in-between conversations 
when it's like the fallout from the decisions they've made. You never see the decisions. In it's between like, sex. Right. Like at the at the scene where she's serving him the divorce papers and Clive Owen says, like, I slept with Natalie Portman. You really don't know whether to believe him in totally. that moment. He could be completely just like talking out of his ass just to like try and manipulate her. Right. They do sleep together right after that scene. Uh, but then, you know, you're not sure if he slept with Natalie Portman. And then later, Natalie kinds of confirms it, but, like, not really, you know? I've seen this film multiple times, and it's still unclear to me if they slept together multiple times, or just that once at the strip club. was Like, it's very ambiguous, but I think it's, like, it's exciting. I think it makes the movie fun to watch, because as the viewer, like, you're put in this position of being, like, lied to and manipulated and feeling... I think what the film's about, which is, like, these kind of, you know, sexuality and, in quotes, love being about, ultimately about power, you know, Mm -hmm. and, or not just power, power, and again, like, fulfilling the sense of lack you feel, but can never, like, a hole you can never fill, you know? And so I think because, like, you're kind of in that, as a viewer, you don't know who's cheating or who's not, you, like, constantly feel like you're being lied to and, like, without out of control you know forgive me you feel a little gaslit watching this movie you feel a little gaslit uh a star's original series starring julia roberts uh that we will have to talk about one day on this pod gaslit (laughs) um but you feel a little gaslit you don't know who to believe you don't know and and you can also sit there and and how much are the characters lying to each other and how much are they lying to themselves? Am I right, folks? True. How much is Jude Law lying to himself? Or also, like, what are their motivations, you know? Right. Like, like, this question of, like, do they actually love each other? But then you go down the rabbit hole, which it takes you down of, like, well, then, what is love? What is sex? Why did he do any of this? What do you do? Like, you know, it's like, if... if if he if they could cheat, like, what meaning does that have for them to sleep together? But then, like... If we slept together, then what meaning did that have if you could do it with this person? Like, this is the rabbit hole that cheating leads you down of, like, what is the meaning of sex? What is the meaning of love? What is the meaning of any of this, you know? And, um, yeah, this film makes me think a lot of this, like, very cynical, but I think funny Lacan um, quote that's, like... Love is giving something you don't have to someone who doesn't want it. Let's go! And, like, it's very, you know, I don't know if I even fully agree with it, and it's obviously there's more to get into with with its meaning, but, like, I do think it's an appropriate quote for the film, and, like, you know, I think it's weird because it sounds like a very frustrating film to watch, but it's actually fun. Like, I think it's because of the melodrama and the excess that makes it, like, fun. It's it keeps it very lively. I don't know. This isn't a very you know like a staid kitchen sink drama. You know, no. it's it's all about like simmering pots and yes. and people like especially the the Clive Owen character. I feel like every scene he goes into, he turns up the heat a little bit on everybody's pot. He like yeah. he, he's trying to get everybody to boil a little bit intentionally or no. I think it's also like the way that the film manipulates you. And how you feel about the characters while it's happening. It does such a good job of making these characters like endearing or sexy enough that you're confused why you're still attracted to them when they've been lying to you and to the person that they love this whole time. (laughs) And then I think they do a really good job of like carrying you along that way where you're like, well, I still like kind of kind of love this person. But (sighs) did she really just lie to me or did... Did he really do that to her? And like, oh, but there's still, it's like, it's problematic fave if every single 
performer is the problematic fave, like problematic fave ensemble cast. And I, I think it does a nice job of like helping you sort of unpack, like if you've experienced this and you still had feelings for that person. And like, because it's so complex, it's not so like black and white. Like when a person cheats, like, look, they're still so sexy and we're still like into them and they had a reason to. And like, I just think like, the nuance they do a good job of the nuance with that without actually having to personally suffer through cheating in the moment yourself yeah like (laughs) and it's also so like over the top because of the way they speak and like i don't know it's almost like the like hard-boiled dialogue of like noir even though it's not a noir at all but it like feels that way Aaron sorkin yes it like has that but it's like I think, and it's so excessive, and the cheating is so absurd that it, like, uh, I don't know, it makes you, like, it makes you really confront these things and confront the complexity and the way that they'll never be fully resolved in a way that's, like, kind of satisfying, you know? Um, did either of you guys see the film Passages that came out this year? No, so actually, I've been wanting to see it, and I applied for a mentorship program that I'm pretty sure I'm going to get denied from, but I had, like, two choices, or I had a handful of choices for who to be mentored under, and it was Kate Bornstein or the director of Passages. Yeah, wow. yeah. I mean, but I think, that'd be amazing. I think it'll be a no. <laughs> well, I'm crossing a... my fingers because then I'll be one step closer to Iris X. But um, one step closer. One step closer. Um, and I also like the, we were talking about ridiculous closer. scenes and ridiculous dialogue. We have closer. not mentioned even once the online chat room. Oh yeah. Oh, I th- that was the most intrusive thought for me. Um, was that that scene? I think about it. When I think of this film, and I have to just think about it, like, think of the movie. Before we were all processing and unpacking it here, I had seen it a few weeks ago and was like, okay, what do I remember? So then I, like, went back to, like, watch, like, a trailer or, like, something to, like, jog, like, different scenes and stuff. But before I did that, the only thing I could think about was the chat room scene because it stuck out so much to me. I was so enthralled by it yeah i think yeah. i think my so favorite gay. line in the movie is when jude law types i lick it off the dirty slut i am wait have to type with one hand am coming right now oh 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 what do you think i love it's how a, turned on they sequence. were i Who just love has not <laughs> it's very um back and forth from ever back and forth forever <laughs> like uh <laughs> miranda july you know 100 <laughs> percent um but yeah, that scene is great. What great do you think scene. of it? What 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 was what's, I think what's it's gay. About it? I I think it was. It is gay. I think it was it was the gay that I that I was craving in this film. The the yeah. seeing two men like catfish each other like that and and just <laughs> uh, it was amazing because like they weren't being honest either side. One was pretending to be someone and the other one was like lying at work like it was just beautiful it was i love the lengths that that horny men will go (laughs) to save face and also be horny and uh 
I think the writing was fantastic. I think the spelling of everything was amazing. I know it was like <laughs> in the vernacular, time, but I think uh, it's like a beautiful vessel of like, it's like a time capsule of like what totally. what chat rooms was, and I'll think totally. about it until I die. Um, here's a here's a fun recurring segment from the show, uh, where I say, "Put yourself in their shoes." How could this happen to me? Okay. Uh, and we're gonna put ourselves in the shoes of Julia Roberts at the aquarium. Okay. Clive Owen shows up, trench coat, doctor coat, goes into the whole thing. Yeah. Are we? Is this charming or is this terrifying? Am Do I... we go on a date with this man after this has happened? After we find out that he has been catfished by someone pretending to be you, are we charmed? Are we going out? Are we getting coffee with the balloon man? Or are we running away? Are we diving into the fish tank? I'm pulling out my open carry gun. <laughs> <laughs> London's an open carry state now. It's state, yeah. Yeah, it's an open carry state. Um, the state I'm pulling of- out my baton. <laughs> pulling out my illegal pepper spray. If someone's like, you're here, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> I'd say, you must have listened to me do you, on Kevin's podcast. Do you marry this man? <laughs> you must have heard me dox myself. That's what you knew to find me at the Coney Island Aquarium. <laughs> That'd be so far for you. That'd be such a journey. Yeah. Um, well, there's my answer. Cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, I actually want to know your your answer first. No, uh, no way. No way no. am I... I'm not... Even if he looks like Clive Owen circa 2004, like, I'm... It's... I, I'm... No. I think it's just, like, such... That's such a bad foot to start out on in a relationship. Okay, wait, wait, wait. wait, Because you think he's a pervert? (laughs) Yes. Or at least, like, I'm sorry, if someone has been, like, catfished by someone pretending to be me, like, I just, I don't know if I could ever get over that. I'd be kind of flattered in a way. Right? If they're using, like, photos of me, (laughs) I'd be like, that's a weird choice. Because, like, if they, again, back to to Manic Pixie Dream Girl, I'm like, if they put, like, some, like, facts about me. Right, right, because it doesn't even say, like, I am somewhat famous photographer, you know, Anna, whatever. It's just, like, meet me at the aquarium. (laughs) I'll be by the fish. Uh, Yeah. If it was more of a reversal, if it was, like, Kate Blanchett holding the balloons and doing this. Like, I think if there was, mm. there was, a, if it wasn't a, if it wasn't a, a straight white dude, or maybe if Hugh Grant played Hugh Grant, you know, he played his <laughs> Hugh Grant. Uh, yes, I, I met someone on the uh, internet. Then I might. I don't know if I would, like, go on a... If he he was so blinky, if he was blinking at you. If he was blinking me, like, beat for beat that he wrote in the script, then I probably would get coffee, not in a romantic way, just kind of in a, like... Tell me your story. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me me your tale. How did you end up here, buddy? (laughs) But I do think I'm a little too prone to serendipity and whimsy that I might be like, Mm. what does this mean? You know, I would want to know more. Curiosity killed the cat, Scott. Wow, what a film. There's so many, there's, there's so much, 
There's so much going on in this movie, and I like it. I feel like it's just been on Hulu forever for anyone who wants to, like, go watch it. It's worth a watch. I don't think we, like, spoiled anything, because it is just mostly people talking in rooms, you know? Yeah. It's not a big plot revelatory film. If all you know about this movie is Natalie Portman, pink wig, Fallout Boy, you know, like, there's more to it. There's a lot going on. I will say the Natalie Portman pink wig is, like, that look is iconic to this day. Like, people... To this day, like, we'll dress up as that for Halloween and stuff. And, um, you know, I think, does that say much about the film? Probably not. But I do think, like, to create such an iconic image is a a feat, you know? Absolutely. You know, and I do think, like, Natalie Portman's style in general in the film is, like, very great. Like, I love the coat she wears and her red hair at the beginning. Very emo, you know, very, very emo. emo. So that's the that's the appeal there. A lot of good looks. A lot of good looks. You get to see a different side of London than you normally get to see in this picture. Yeah, I feel like there used to be movies that were, like, cool movies. Yeah. Follow, follow me here. Like, 500 Days of Summer, in a way. Like, these movies cool. that were, like, oh, if you're, like, kind of hip, you know... You watch, you like this movie, you know? Yeah. And I, well, definitely in like the late 90s, early 2000s, I think there were like a ton of these, especially like movies focused on like young people, teens that are very like gritty, like brick, you know? Oh, Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko, like, and those movies were all like cool movies. Do you know what I mean? Fight Club. Fight Club, 100%. Like, they're movies that like, um, but they're very different, and they're very stylistically different, but there's just something about them that was, like, they weren't just responding to the culture, they were creating the culture. In yeah. Way, you know? And they were, like, um, inspiring, like, you know, fashion and music Absolutely. and all this. And I think now it's, like, a com- we're in a completely different space where there aren't, in my opinion, I feel like there aren't movies like that where it's like, oh, well, that's a cool movie. I think A24 wishes, yes, wishes it could do that and is, like, trying. But the thing is, it's like, I think because of the internet and social media and all this crap, like, we're always, like, we never just live in the culture. We're always reflecting back on it all the time, every mm-hmm. second, where it's like, you know, holding up a mirror to itself. So it's like a, a movie's... Like, all the A24 crap, I think, like, Euphoria is a great example of this. Um, is that even A24? What is? It's Euphoria. Oh, it the is, right? HBO show? I have no idea. Well, yeah, whatever. I think seen. it's a, one of its first um, It has to be. Yeah, TV it seems properties. like it would be because it's, but it's vacuous so, like, and 12-year-olds like it. Yeah. It's so, like, looking in on the culture in a way where it's not, like, just doing its thing and, like, creating it, if that makes right. sense. The, like, it's too... Weirdly enough... It's collapsing in on itself. The closest thing that I can think of to that right now is the Wes Anderson trends on, you know, like, various social... TikTok is like, yeah. I went to France, but in a Wes Anderson sort of way. And, like, yeah. that's the closest. But the problem is people aren't actually watching Wes Anderson's movies. They are watching... Wes Anderson TikToks and copying mm. those TikToks. But, but it's not yeah. like everyone rolled out for Asteroid City to get no. new style tips. But yeah, no. And like with Closer, for example, as you know, I said like there's an emo movie and it inspired like this pop punk music, but there's no pop punk in this movie. No. You know, it's not a pop punk movie. They're not borrowing like images from Warp Tour or anything in this movie. Not at all, but it inspired it because I think there are in its excess and its melodrama, whatever, in these, in this, like, you know, 
uh, in its uh, kind of unselfconsciousness that I argue makes it cool, right. um, it ends up being, and it's just like, you know, emotional and edgy, yeah. whatever. I think it inspired culture. And I think this is like in the canon, in my personal canon of like the cool movies of like the, early, the late 90s, early 2000s. This is like a, this is a cool movie, like in yeah. the same way these Donnie Darko, whatever. Um, I don't even mean that in, like, a good... I'm not even using that as, like, a compliment or, like, a positive term. I mean, like, neutrally. Yeah, but it's a movie that inspired, like, multiple popular rock songs. Yeah, you know, that's that's something, you know? Right, 100%. And Um, I think part of the issue with creating new ones, like, new stylish, new cool movies, is that, like, to be a really cool movie, there is a certain level of earnestness and unselfconsciousness that that we have talked about many times in relation to this movie that is necessary. And we live in a culture of ironic self-detachment. Yeah. And you can't... Cool movies aren't cool because they don't fucking care, man. It's like all the movies that we listed that are quote-unquote cool movies are very deeply felt heart on their sleeve, like earnest movies. And sometimes that heart is like ooey gooey 500 days of summer and sometimes that heart is like noxious and fight clubby but it's like it's out there it's putting its whole thing out there and so many movies are like so worried that you might make a joke about them on a podcast that they're gonna make the joke about themselves first yeah so that you don't have the satisfaction of like responding to it later mm-hmm. it's it's you know a fucking you know every marvel movie anytime someone does anything someone has to go like you thought that was cool or like what's this guy's name dr spider or whatever you know it's like we have to like make fun of ourselves before we ever actually do anything because every movie is like no homoing itself every movie is like i don't mean it i don't mean it um and it's and it's obnoxious and then like the movies that are actually out there being earnest people just aren't seeing in the same way yeah and i think there's also just like not a canon in their way there kind of could be in the past too because like we're just so like bombarded with content and shit all the time yeah. you know um there's no monoculture no and there's not, not that even closer like, was super monoculture but no but it was this kind it was the it was the mainstream counterculture the yeah. same way like pop punk and stuff was you know um yeah. Interesting film. Ridiculous film. Interesting it's film. a very ridi- it's like ridiculous. Like you could totally like sit and like make fun of this film if you are not trying to have an amazing time, you know? Yeah. Cuz that would be not fun to make fun of it as you're saying about 100%. No but I think, you know, if Fa- if Fallout Boy hadn't taken it, I think like gay online culture would really have a field day with he tastes like you but sweeter you yeah. know and especially like julia's delivery of it and, yeah. and everything i think i think there's there's something that was left on the table unfortunately but fallout boy they took it they ran with it it's also like faux poetic in a way i think it's right. very like pop punk like the whole movie not just that line the whole thing is like this like faux poetic but i, I mean that lovingly it's like you know, it's definitely lines that, like, I could imagine myself, like, writing on the side of my, like, van sneakers growing up, which I did with, like, so many lyrics, you know? Or, like, uh-huh. leaving as your, like, aim away message. That's a little oh, before yeah. me. But still, like, you know. When you had your duct tape kind of shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Kat, any concluding thoughts on uh, Closer? 
Yeah, I was, I had a thought that wasn't a resolved thought that was that closer. It reminds me of the L word. <laughs> No, let's oh, go. wait. I'm I'm following. I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I'm out. <laughs> I just with all of the everyone's cheating, but everyone's sexy still, but everyone's kind of fucked up, but you're still watching. And then also, I feel like Natalie Portman is what Jenny Schechter wishes she was. If you know. <laughs> Or it is Jenny Schechter is a character that is actually like the creator of the L word making fun of herself and her group of friends. Um, but it doesn't really, it kind of loses the thread there in how insufferable Jenny Schechter is. And I just feel like Jenny Schechter is the, the unfortunate byproduct of creating something like Natalie Portman's character. And it the t- the trickle down effect leads to this sort of awful thing, which is Jenny Schechter. But yeah, it's not a fully resolved thought. But it was also the same era, and people really loved cheating stories during this era. They were really really obsessed with uh, with cheating. It's interesting. I wonder why. Like, in the early 2000s, you know? Early 2000s. Well, I, was, I brought up Passages earlier, because that's, like, a recent cheating story. Mm-hmm. And um, I when, thought when about... When was Monica Lewinsky? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, like, the Passages is, like, very different from this film. Um, because And that, that movie has, like, a ton of sex in it. Like, you see... You really see people, like, having sex, you know? Um, and you really see it. Mm, all um, right. But, uh, I think, like, it's a movie that's very much, like, watching someone who's being driven, like, by pleasure or, like, by desire, you know? They're seeking it out, and it's something that, there's something very satisfying about watching that in a way, because, of course, it's, like, giving into our, like, we mentioned earlier before we were recording the death drive and stuff, there is something to that, like... The satisfaction of just watching someone like lean in and like think with their dick a bit, you know. Um, But um, and it also reminds me a lot of Love Island in that way. Another thing I love, but um, it's very Love Island vibes. Love Love Island. There's something satisfying about watching the characters on Love Island who like get their head turned at Casa more because you're just like, what would life be like if you just like you know were motivated so so much by desire and pleasure. Um, but this film, Closer, I feel like the characters are not at all motivated by desire and pleasure. They're motivated by, like, the most cynical, deluded version of pleasure that's all about, like, power or, mm-hmm. like, control or, like, who's with who and why. And, like, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's very different from, you know, other cheating stories, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, so this is a, I don't know, a hearty recommendation of Closer. Not a guarantee that, you know, you and the audience will love it, but it's a it's an interesting 40 movie with a lot going on, a lot of good performances. I don't know. Check it out. Um, I do have an, I, I have a, I have a little, another little game thought experiment that well, we could play. Well, I'm not going to play, because I don't play you games, hate games, but Kat can play and play, I'll... Play stupid games, I'll, I'll, win um, stupid prizes. The ref. Okay, yeah. great. So what I was thinking is as we go along... We could kind of maintain 
the Julia Roberts Mount Rushmore or the Julia Roberts, you know, Hall of Fame. Mm. When we cover various films, do they make it onto, you know, onto or into these sort of spaces? I'm going to assume that the movie we covered before this, Mary Riley, is not making it into the Hall of Fame, is not making it onto their Mount Rushmore. Um, But, you know, we have four movies up there right now. You know, your Pretty Woman, your Mystic Pizza, your Ocean's Eleven, your Notting Hill. So... <coughs> Sorry. Is closer making it onto that mountain, making it into the into the doors of the Hall of Fame. What do we think? I do think that this is more of a Natalie Portman vehicle and I think Julie Roberts did great great all things considering. I think once you said the Kate Blanchett, I'm like, "Ah, yeah, it feels as if this was written for Kate Blanchett." Um and I do think Julie Roberts did a really great job and was very interesting and served her role. But I do think it's, it's, it's the Natalie Portman of the film that makes it, it would be in maybe in Natalie Portman's Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Almost definitely on the Natalie Portman Mount Rushmore. What else is on there? Jackie? Black Uh, Swan. Black Swan, unfortunately. Uh, Star Wars. Are you talking about your personal, like, films you like, or you think, like, they're, like, their most iconic roles? Representational of Julia. Because I you... definitely don't think this is her most iconic role, like, no. at all. It, this is my, as I said, I think my favorite film that yeah. she is in. But, um, I don't think, and, and she's, she is really great in it, but, like, I don't think when people think Julia Roberts, like, this is the film that. Right they would think of. You We're know? definitely not on the Mount Rushmore, but you know, in a Hall of Fame, you know, I'd put in a little closer installation, you yeah. know? Like a I think plaque. A plaque. A plaque. A commemorative closer plaque. There's a bench named after closer or um here's the camera that she used in closer or whatever. You know, there's yeah. like there's a little emblem from closer there. But it's not we're not opening up the closer wing. It's not Pretty Woman. I know you don't like that movie, but like yeah. in the Julia Roberts Hall of Fame, of course, there's a Pretty Woman wing, a permanent a floor, exhibit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, it's the Pretty Woman Museum featuring other films, um, and the boots are on display. Yeah, I'm sure those are on display somewhere. They gotta be. Well, unfortunately, Planet Hollywood is yeah. uh, mostly shut down. That'd be the perfect place to see wow. the boots from Pretty Woman. Wow. Yeah, that would be something. Uh, amazing. So, I don't know. Closer. Check it out. Coming up next in uh, Nichols' Vember, we'll be talking about Charlie Wilson's War. Uh, the final film by Mike Nichols. Uh, not a beloved film by anyone, but uh, we'll be talking about it. Run the Charlie. Run um, the war. Which is what Charlie Wilson did. Cocaine Charlie, as uh, they called him. Run no the joke. war, comma, Charlie Wilson. <laughs> I think the proposed title. Um, well, you can find me at Cat Scott online on Instagram. Um, and you referenced Blink One Eighty Two earlier. There's a really good chance that I am in the background of a Blink One Eighty Two music video that is dropping Let's soon. Fucking go! <laughs> so I can find you. Wow. Um, there they are. Yeah, let me see the name of the song. They just dropped the um, title of the song on there. Oh, hell yeah. 
on Instagram. Yeah, I know they they dropped a couple singles recently. About Dance one with of them me. was pretty good. Dance, Dance with me. Dance with me. Uh, it's a rem- I signed an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's fun, and I'm probably in the background somewhere. Unless I was so sweaty that they edited me out, which is a really good possibility. No sweat. (laughs) Pristine, beautiful, clean skin only. They'll clean it out in post. (laughs) (laughs) Their editors really They got the sweat guy, like, hand coloring it out, like, when they airbrush, you know, people for fashion shoots, and you're like, there's not, there's that's not human skin anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, amazing. Hallie, I know you've been afraid of doxing yourself. Any, oh, yeah. any, uh, anything Here's you want to share with people? my phone number, <laughs> address, social security number, my mom's phone number. Um, what can I share? You know, I'm on Instagram. Great. I love carbonated water is my, it's I underscore love underscore carbonated underscore water. Um, letterbox, seltzer. <laughs> Um, iconic just the word seltzer um you know um and you know that's pretty much it i don't have a huge online footprint you know but i'll work on it i'm a bit as you know from my fear of doxing myself i'm a bit like hesitant to um to share too much but um i gotta get out there i gotta get my website popping i gotta get my imdb kicking you know you got you got some projects coming up you might yeah i gotta yeah i gotta get myself out there so really the way to find me is to really find me wow you know on on the street track me down and i'll whip out my gun, <laughs> because you have said to me, oh, I heard you on a podcast, and I'd say, back away from me, <laughs> you fucker, and that, that's the best way to find me. Uh, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Uh, I'm TV's Kevin Lane again on all the stuff. The brand is strong. I, for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Kevin, you can get these episodes a full week early. You can get archives of old shows. You can get exclusive shit. And you can encourage us to continue making this podcast and cover more. Uh, so that, and you'll also get a personal ASMR video from Kevin yeah, every month. Yeah, every month, personal <laughs> ASMR. New promise, new promise, new promise. Uh, that tier is uh, $25 a month. New tier... Uh, I'll send you an ASMR video. Uh, it'll be great. And you know what? If one person signs up for it, I'll do it. But no special requests. You get what Kevin you wants You get to what make. you fucking get. But you're going to get one of those like really involved ASMR videos <laughs> where it's like, I'm your boyfriend and you just came home from your shift at work and be like, how was the IHOP? <laughs> oh, IHOP was good today. Did anyone? Did anyone order the Rudy Judy fresh and fruity. <laughs> Your boyfriend soothes his uh, striking wall, Waffle House employee <laughs> after a long day on the picket babe, line. Babe, you deserve $25 an hour. <laughs> I think you're the real heroes. <laughs> I believe that. My ASMR character is just expressing my real feelings. <laughs> Uh, so that's so that's that. Uh, like we said, Nichols Vember continues next episode. Charlie Wilson's War, and then in December. Look out! Julia's got a new movie. So I guess we're gonna be talking about that. Until then, please remember that he tastes like you, but sweeter. Closer. Closer.
officer. <laughs> I'm gonna make you bend and break. Hey, you to me without saying a prayer. But let the good times roll in case God doesn't show. your fingers back to the key